So let's go to Psalm 98, which is not where I turned at all in my Bible up here. We'll be there in a second. We have been looking at Christmas carols, and we've looked at three so far. Today is our last one, and especially with this idea of the gospel, the good news, according to Christmas carols. And, you know, we, we call them that because that's, that's kind of when most, some of them were written specifically for this particular celebration. Some were not. Uh, last week we looked at one that wasn't. It was actually written for a celebration of the Lord's Supper, uh, Panis Angelicus, which a line was from uh, as we ate the supper this morning. Others were. Uh, we sang, O Holy Night, clearly written about Christmas, right? And I spared you that week trying to sing it in French because that ain't happening. That's all the French I know, ain't. They're right there. Uh, and, and last week I didn't spare you, and I apologize, because then I sang to you in Latin. We had a special last week. Where'd he go? There you are. We had a, and it wasn't, it wasn't Baptist. It was like Thomas Aquinas from 1263. Uh, a pre-Baptist special. That sounds like something you'd have at Luby's, doesn't it? The pre-Baptist special. That's if you make it to lunch by 11. <laughs> I had a donut hole on my way in. You see what happens? This is why I've got to go back on my low-carb thing. Um, but, but we've been looking at these because the messages in these songs is incredible. And in some of the ones we sang, well, all of them we sang this morning, so there were certain lines that stuck out in my head. Uh, just the call to not only believe in Christ, but to see why He came. To realize that Christmas isn't just about Christmas. It's not really about Christmas at all. Christmas is about something far bigger and... and, and more far-reaching than, than we really can comprehend or understand. And we don't even know the eternity that lies before us and the glory of all of that. And so we, we try to capture in these songs. I think that's one of the things that's cool about Christmas songs is that they typically are grander than the rest of our songs. And I think that's because they're written for the big picture. It, it's when we focus on what's, what, what are we really all about and why did Jesus really come? And it's captured, and you feel that, don't you? Even in just the tunes alone, you feel that? This morning we're going to look at one of my favorites. It's an exciting, grand song, Joy to the World. And this uh, is kind of a, another funny one. Uh, just as the one last week was not written about Christmas, Joy to the World is not a Christmas song. It's not at all. That's just, you know what other, what other song isn't a Christmas song? Jingle bells. This is, and if we had one more week, I could have gotten this one in. You know, maybe next year in November we'll do jingle. That's a great idea. I may do that. Uh, jingle bells was written about Thanksgiving. Did you know that? Well, I'm going to tell you the rest because I might save it for a sermon later. So, <laughs> but but it's a Thanksgiving song, and and joy to the world is is neither. Joy to the world is literally just a praise song. A worship song, uh, a big grand praise song. You can see why it became associated with Christmas because when we think about some of its themes, we think about Christ's coming, but it's actually written about Christ coming again. This song is actually a return of Jesus song, not a, a first-time song. That's kind of interesting. We'll come back to that. Let's uh, first read Psalm 98 because this is the text that the song... Uh, borrows heavily from in its themes. Not direct quotes, uh, because the, the writer paraphrased Psalm 98 and then wrote the song based on his paraphrase, which makes sense because he was a poet. Uh, but it's, it's rooted in Psalm 98 and parts of Psalm 96 in Genesis as well. 
Psalm 98, verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. The Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered His steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth has seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Quick question. Anybody here ever go to the Haskell Singing School? No? I'm it? Well, that is... Oh, no, I'm not. i got a hand right back here. we we got it going on right there, right? Okay. And so you might remember that one of the songs that we would sing there very often came right out of this too. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a joyful noise. And it was a round, really cool song. We ought to sing that one sometime. Put that on the list. But it's a good one. comes right out of here. So he says, make a joyful noise. I heard it as I read it, verse 4. That was the problem. And then... Uh, Churches of Christ always cut it off at verse 4. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, and the lyre and the sound of the melody. With the trumpets. Yeah, see what I'm saying? That's because all those harps... I'm not behaving this morning. All those harps... I'm going to get cold. All those harps that we're going to have that he talks about in the book of Revelation are our reward for singing a cappella all these years. We will have earned them. Y'all are going to rebaptize me when this is over, aren't you? That's going to happen. No, that clearly did not take. Did not take. Mm-mm. I'm glad the Lord has a sense of humor. Or at least grace. He at least has grace. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. You can hear that, can't you? Rocks, hills, and that's where he gets that in this song. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth with righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is a a messianic psalm that he then takes and paraphrases to make this this, uh, second coming hymn that's that we love to sing at Christmas. And it's fitting, really. It's still fitting. But it's bigger than what we often think. We'll back up. Let's get a little bit of history. Last week our song was from 1263. So this one is practically a youth group song. Okay, This one was written probably in the 1700s, uh, mid to late, probably somewhere in there, 1700s. And it's one that, like a lot of our songs, is kind of a patchwork. Uh, Isaac Watts is the guy who wrote it. He, he wrote the words and everything to this. Uh, our, the tune has been adapted and changed and worked around. And so parts of it are actually from Handel's Messiah. Parts of it are from other writers. And it just it's kind of a, a quilt of a song, just part, different contributors here and there and everything else. But he wrote the bones of the song. He also wrote about 750 other hymns that we sing. And I've got a, a list here. <clears throat> Pardon me. Of some that are in our... In our book, see if you recognize these. Here's several of his. One is, I sing the mighty power of God that made the nations rise. That's one. You probably know that song. The Lord my shepherd is, I shall be well supplied. That's one of them. Uh, Based on 23rd Psalm, obviously. This one you'll know. When I survey. He wrote that one. 
Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? That one. And he, and then music by Beethoven, How shall the young secure their hearts? Isaac Watts. Uh, I'm not ashamed to own my Lord, nor to defend His cause. And come we that love the Lord, and let our joys be known. Join in a song of sweet accord. All those songs by this one guy in England. And you can go to England. There are statues to him to honor him. He's known, as it says up there, as the Godfather. That means something else to Americans, doesn't it? We're like, really? <laughs> did, he put, did he put a horse's head in Fanny J. Crosby's? No, he, no, no. But he, he, he just had that incredible an impact on worship in England. Us, a lot of us, no, not me, I'm Scottish, so this kind of, you know, this is a love, a bittersweet sort of a thing. Uh, but, but we still sing so many of his hymns that, that these, and a few that I have no idea, I've never sung them before, are in our book. I looked at them, but I don't know them. Uh, but there's, there's probably another 720 out there that we could all learn. Just a, a prolific writer with an incredible impact on our, on our churches. And kind of a guy that we have a lot uh, in common with. He grew up in a family that was a nonconformist family. What a nonconformist family meant was you believed in Jesus, you believed in God, you believed in the church. I feel like I'm about to recite the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God. No. But you believe in the gospel and you live your life as a Christian. You gather together with his people and you worship. But at this particular time in, in English history, a nonconformist was one who said, I agreed with the Church of England in throwing off the authority of the Pope, but I did not agree with the Church of England that that meant that the King or the Archbishop of Canterbury ought to, all, ought to be in charge instead. And so they believed that it ought to be Jesus in charge, not men in a robe. So he was probably Church of Christ. That's probably about the way that went. Some things in common. His family believed so strongly in that, by the way, that his father was arrested twice for those views and had spent time in jail for believing that the church had one head and that, that was Jesus Christ. And he grew up in that kind of a household. Now, with that in mind, you start to go back through some of his songs and you start to see it. We just I, I quoted the song. Where did it go? Uh, Alas, and did my uh, Savior bleed and did my sovereign die? The sovereign in England is the king or the queen, especially then even more so than now. And he's making a declaration. Jesus is Lord. And he had to make the same declaration that a Christian in Rome would have had to have made in the first and second century. And his father went to jail twice because he believed he had one and only sovereign, one king. So that was kind of the, the spirit of the household that he grew up in. He wasn't allowed to go to, even though he could have qualified, he didn't go to Oxford or to Cambridge because he was a nonconformist. And they did not allow him in unless he would pledge allegiance to the Anglican church. And so he was denied that education. So they hired a tutor. Long story short, he became very influential in English history because he was a, a theologian and a logician, wrote several books on both, on logic and faith. And, and did all of these things in, in order to have an impact for the kingdom of God. And 
I think a testament to his impact is the church that jailed his father and rejected him to be schooled as a theologian adopted his songs. And probably Christmas Eve... Oh, look at that watch. Y'all are in trouble. See what happened there? In England, they're seven hours ahead. There's probably a church in England right now, a big one in London, singing at least one of his songs tonight. Never underestimate the power of one person with faith who scribbles down the words of their heart in praise. Because this man impacted your morning, maybe in several ways, as you look at the things that he wrote that were on your heart. But, you know, I, I thank God regularly that hymn writers and praise uh, leaders are able to, to, to get into words and music, the things that, that we want to say but maybe wouldn't have been able to word that way or say that way and use the talents that God's given them to do that. Uh, it's, it's, it's a blessing to the church. I want to look at a, a few of the themes that are here, and this is not a list, that's just a, a placeholder because I didn't want to do PowerPoint at all this morning. I didn't feel like clicking, you see. And uh, I want to look at a few of the lines from the song where we see the gospel of Christ. The one is where it says, Let every heart prepare him room. We looked last week at a song that celebrated that when we eat this bread and when we drink this cup, there's no one who is in Christ who is denied based on stature, background, race, origin, or any of those things. That every human being is welcome at the table of Christ. That was what that song was about. And this is the same kind of a declaration. And it's a declaration in the form of a, a plea. Because Jesus Christ has come for every single one of us and welcomes every single one of us into the kingdom of God, He says, let everybody open up your heart and receive the gift that He's given as He comes to bring joy and as He comes to bring peace and reconciliation with God the Father. He says, don't miss the gift. Open up your heart to what He has to give you. That is the core, isn't it, of the gospel and evangelism. That Jesus Christ came for every person, regardless of where they've been or what they've done, and calls them in to life in the kingdom of God. And this song does the same and reminds us of the same. No one is beyond His grace. Say it often because that is the core of the gospel. Another line. No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. This is an interesting line. Everything else comes from a paraphrase of either Psalm 98 or Psalm 96 that he had done, except for this one line. It's in the third stanza, and it just kind of stands out. If you're, if you're looking at the Psalms particularly, you go, whoa, 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 where did that part go? That's not in the Psalm. It doesn't say anything about curses and, and, and thorns. What's he talking about? And this goes back to Genesis chapter 3, 17 and 18. After Adam and Eve had made their decisions to eat of the fruit, after God has come and, and told them that, you know, you knew, I, you knew I told you not to eat that. What were you doing? And then tells them, it's going to be harder from here on. I warned you that there was, there was a sting that came with this fruit, that there would be death, that there would be decay, that there would be disease. We know all too well the consequences of that decision is because we deal with these things on a daily basis. He told them, too, that from then on they would have to work to be able to get their food. 
It would no longer just show up on their table. And I know some of our kids think that's the way it works, but it doesn't work that way, is it? Somebody out there is having to toil and, and break the ground and plant it and worry and pray and watch and hope and all of those things. We don't come across these things easily, even if we've removed ourselves from the process. The song declares there's an end to that in the coming of Christ. There's an end to that in the kingdom of God. No longer will we toil. No longer will we worry. No longer will we, will we uh, sweat and, and, and everything else as we work hard to try and eke out a living on this planet and provide food for our families. Because in the kingdom of God, in the coming of, God, of Christ, when all things are restored and made new, we get to see a restored Garden of Eden experience. I remember sitting in a classroom at sunset 20 some odd years ago and hearing Gerald Payton talk about how one of the themes of the book of Hebrews is the restoration of our Garden of Eden fellowship with God. And I remember that running through my imagination and through my heart. It's just something I can't comprehend. What was it like before they bit the fruit? What was it like to walk with God in the cool of the evening. By the way, see, that's proof. God likes to walk in the cool of the evening. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Colder is closer to God. So, the, I'm just saying. If hell is hot, I'm just saying. So, the, uh, what it is, is y'all, some of you are just finally going to get your thermostat fixed, right? Me too. I'm at the other end, you know. We all got broken thermostats. What will it be like? To be able to just see God face to face and know Him. Have you ever just really sat around and just considered that, meditated on that as you look forward to your future? This song declares that, shouts it. says this isn't a, a hope or a wish. This is what we're living for. This is what we're already thanking God for even though we don't yet see it because we know that it's ours. But there's also a... a, 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 a a here and now kingdom part of this. That from the spiritual point of view, we are already in His kingdom. We are already in His family. We already have a closer fellowship than we could before. And He is already restoring and transforming and making things better. We are not there yet. Paul talks about that. He says, even though we see with our eyes, clearly not all things are yet under His feet, but we know that it's coming. And when it comes, it is going to be even better, even greater, and even more glorious than we can imagine. But Paul writes that to say, but we're not waiting around to see some of these things. We're going to get to work on this in the here and now as the Spirit gets to work on it in the here and now. No more let sin and sorrows grow. That's part of the declaration of the song. We have a lot of things that cross our lives, cross our plates, and cross our hearts and minds that can produce sorrow. We've all made mistakes, so the sin we know is there. But it doesn't stay there. We don't have to let it grow. We don't have to let it fester. We don't have to let the things that cause us sorrow become the core of our being and our experience in this life. 
Because we know that Jesus Christ is making all things new, not only in the future when He comes, but He's already started working on it in the here and now. He already can bring peace and healing to your heart today. He already can bring joy where there is sorrow, dancing where there's crying today. And this is part of the promise that Isaac Watts was celebrating in this song. The other one here that, uh, that I wanted to pull out of here is He rules the world with truth and grace. As much as we long for that full-blown restoration, right? We long for the Garden of Eden experience that we have in our future. We also have to remember that, that He started not just in the general sense in the church, He has already started that in you. And He intends for you and me to be part of a grassroots movement of faith. We know that all the biggest movements start at the grassroots, right? We're part of a grassroots movement of faith where we share truth about who Jesus is and why He came. What a great opportunity at Christmas to be able to do that. We share with people. You know, He came as a baby maybe partly so vulnerable, so small, dependent on a mother and a father just like us, to show that He was not yet coming in judgment. That this was not the end. This was not the day that He would cleanse the earth. But rather to say, like in the old movies in the 50s, whenever an alien would show up, I come in peace, you know. But, that, but He did. He came that way to show, I come in peace. And I come to let that peace grow and to reign. We look forward to a day when He just finally scrubs it all up and, and gets rid of all of the thorns and the sin and the sorrow and all of those things. But we ought to also thank God we live before that because we get to see God already having come in peace, moving, through His church, through His people, through service, through things like what, what happened this week to show people again. Not only did Jesus come in peace, but His kingdom comes in peace. His people love you, want to serve you, want to help you see the grace that is in Him so that they are ready at His return. Because that's really our purpose, isn't it? And think about that. Put all of that back into the song. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Not just a baby in a manger, but a reigning, victorious, risen Jesus Christ coming on the clouds to redeem and receive His people into eternity. Does that change the song any for you? To have that image in your head as you would sing it. Let's look at one more passage before we do sing this song. Go over to Second Peter chapter 3. Peter writes on that theme. <clears throat> Starting in verse 8. <clears throat> but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises. Some count slowness, 
And we might think so. 2,000 years is a long time to wait, isn't it? He says he doesn't count it as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Doesn't that have a line in the song? Let every heart prepare him room. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And here's the, here's the, the crux of the matter. Verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening and coming of the day of God? So if that's the message of really of Christmas is to be prepared, you said that earlier, to be ready. If that's the real core of the message, how do we do that? What, kind, what, what, what should we look like? This is what he says. Verse 13, According to the promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters. So what do you do? Truth and grace. Truth and grace. You find the truth that Jesus Christ has come for you. You find the truth that He redeems you, washes you, and raises you to a new life when you're baptized. You find the truth that faith in Him saves you, not for a day, but for an eternity, all by His grace. And then you live that truth. You get into His Word and you see. This is what Peter said. He says, listen to what I, everything else I told you in this letter and go look at Paul's letters too because there's a lot that the Spirit has revealed there about how to live. You get back into the Gospels and see how Jesus lived after the manger. And you adopt that way of life. And you're ready. It's simple in a way. It's simple to understand, well, what do we do? It's challenging. It, wouldn't, it can't be easy if the only way we can do it is by grace and through the power of the Spirit of God living in us. It's going to be a challenge. But what do you receive? No more do sorrows and sin grow. No more will thorns infest the ground. Instead, we will see our coming King. We will be raised from the dead to greet Him in the sky. And we will live with the Lord in a Garden of Eden kind of fellowship for eternity. Well, you're not going to get anything under your tree any better than that, are you? I think that tells us why we ought to sing this song. So we're going to stand, we're going to sing this song. If you're ready to receive Christ today, we encourage you to do so, to come forward. We would be glad to raise this thing and baptize you this morning. If you need prayers, we will pray with you, for you, Anytime that you want. Let's sing this together. Joy to the Lord.